Our scripture today is found in John chapter 6. We will be reading the whole chapter, so open your Bibles, follow along. Let's see what John chapter 6 can teach us and challenge us with today. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who was to come into the world. Jesus knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to him, It is I. Don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of their lake realized that only one boat had been there, and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then he asked him, What must we do to do the work God requires? 
Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks at the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. At this the Jews there began to grumble about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day, for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died. But whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? 
Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. Thus far the word of God. Pastor Keith, we invite your message. All right. Good morning, everyone. Good morning to those of you here in the sanctuary. Good morning to those of you up in the balcony, down in the basement, out in the youth hut. Hello to those who are watching online a little bit later, whether you are formerly part of BMC or whether you just were surfing the internet and found this broadcast. We are glad to be worshiping with you together in some way today. For those of you that did just happen to find us online, I am Keith. I am one of the pastors here at BMC, and it is great to be gathered together in a uh, different way than usual, but still gathered together nonetheless. Uh, Now, as you can tell by the Scripture reading, this is a very large portion of Scripture, but it was important to read through it all as the entire passage is a cohesive, unified whole. It provides the context for the verses that we're going to focus on today. Now, I don't want to just lift out specific verses, but show that there is a context in the text, and the verses that we pull out and really learn from are done so in the greater context. Today, we'll be going a little bit longer than I normally do, but this is a larger section and an important section, and one that requires a good understanding of the foundation it rests on. So I'm going to spend some time building this foundation and walking through what we know from the text, both a bit of an aerial overview of what we've seen in John so far, and then zooming in to what immediately precedes the teaching of Jesus that we're going to walk through. So please hang in there with me this morning as we walk through this text together. Uh, Let's just start with a word of prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank You for drawing us here today. God, thank You that... Those of us that uh, braved the roads were able to make it safely, Lord, and I pray again for your hand of safety upon us as we head out from here uh, back home afterwards. God, this morning as we open your word, I pray, Lord, that your spirit speaks, God. May the words be from you. May any words that be from me, may they be forgotten or not heard, Lord. I pray that you increase and I decrease, God. Just get me out of the way, God. May you be praised uh, in the reading of your word and the hearing of your word. Amen. So let's start from the beginning. 
We see in John 1, 1-18, the author talking about the eternal Creator God and that He stepped into creation as a man, was rejected, but saved for Himself a people that He adopted into His family. We see in John 2 that God was doing something new. And we see that this Jesus is the eternal Word that we learned about in chapter 1. We see in John 3 that for people to even see God's kingdom, let alone gain entry to it, we need a new birth. A birth that comes from above. A birth that changes us. We see in John 4 that it is through Jesus, the promised Messiah, that this salvation comes. And this salvation affects us and how we live our lives. We see in John 5 that there is a unity between Father and Son. They work in tandem. They raise the spiritually dead to life. They have the power and authority to call into darkness and bring forth light. To call into death and bring forth life. And Christ does this because of who He is and not because of who we are. We have nothing to offer and yet Christ heals us. He heals us in spite of who we are, not because of who we are. Which then brings us to John 6. And this chapter starts out by mentioning the Passover. Now the Passover was a celebration of God's rescuing His people from slavery, commemorated with a meal in which they ate the Passover lamb. Now this is a key overarching theme we need to be aware of when we read this text. So as we go through this, remember this. The theme of the Passover is important here. God's rescuing His people from slavery. Now as we heard in the reading of this chapter, we get the story of Jesus feeding 5,000 men, or most likely about fifteen to 20,000 people, including women and children. And He does this miraculously. The people see that Jesus can just summon food from His hand to feed an army. And having a king like this would be a great advantage. And so the people try to make Jesus king, but He escapes them. That's not why He was there. Then we see Jesus walk on water. First, He can feed people at will from nothing. And now He walks across water. We can see that Jesus is indeed God in the flesh. The people, they come and they find Jesus again, and Jesus brings up the topic of eternal life. He teaches them with authority, and the people ask for yet another sign. They want Jesus to prove Himself, and then they mention the story of Moses and the manna on the ground from their history. Jesus then connects Himself with being the bread of life. He connects hunger and eating with coming to Him. He connects thirst and drinking with believing in Him. Jesus then gives us some pretty powerful teaching on salvation, being from God alone. He says that we must be drawn by the Father and given life by the Son. Jesus then returns to this topic of eating and drinking. This time He uses His flesh and blood. But again, remember this is connected to coming and believing that He mentioned earlier. And as we approach the end of this chapter, we see nearly the entire 20,000 or so people turn and walk away from Jesus. Just 12 men of the 5,000 are left. And Jesus reiterating what He taught about our salvation being from God alone points out why all these people left and why those select few stayed. 
Okay, so that was the, the background from where we came from in this gospel and the, the context of the specific chapter. And when I first opened it, I noticed there was about eight points from this chapter that we could have eight sermons on. Uh, but for today, we're just going to focus specifically on the teaching of Jesus regarding salvation, which is at the very heart of this passage, surrounded by miracles, people coming to but walking away from Jesus, and different pictures of people being fed. And this, I believe, is John's point in all of this, as it flows with what he is doing in the rest of the gospel. So let's dive into this teaching of Jesus in chapter 6. Again, John starts off this section by mentioning it being the Passover. The Passover was a celebration of God rescuing His people from slavery. They as a people were enslaved, and it was only by the action of God that they're freed from this slavery. The Passover celebration was then commemorated with a meal in which they ate the Passover lamb. Now there's people who saw Jesus perform some miracles, and so they follow after Him. They're gathered there, and they get hungry, and so Jesus miraculously gives them food, a physical food that satisfies their hunger. The next day they come again, and Jesus tells them that they were following Him simply because He, he met a felt need of theirs. They were hungry, and so He gave them food to eat. He says what is actually important is that which provides eternal life, not just a short cessation of hunger. He says this eternal life is something that He gives through faith in Him as God. The people demand more signs and bring up Moses and the manna God gave the Israelites in the wilderness. And then we get some beautiful and extremely important teaching from Jesus on faith and salvation. Now typically I would prefer to work in this passage from, we're going to look at verses 35 and forward. I'd prefer to work through this passage kind of in order step by step. But in this case, Jesus has some confusing things to say about eating his flesh and drinking his blood that I want to clear up first before then going into what he says in the prior verses. Now John gives us a key to understanding that confusing imagery at the start before Jesus gets to the heart of his core teaching on salvation and then finishes it up with that imagery of the eating and drinking. So let's start with verse 35. Please have your Bibles open. John chapter 6, we're going to look at 35 to kind of the end. So let's start with 35. We're going to jump to 48 and then come back to 36 and move forward from there. So verse 35, Jesus says to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now here we have a great key to help unlock the verses later on. Jesus says, whoever comes shall not hunger. Whoever believes shall never thirst. Now there is a connection between coming and believing with eating and drinking. The coming and believing are synonymous. They, they both lead to life. The eating and drinking are also synonymous. They also lead to life. And the coming and believing are synonymous with eating and drinking. So with that understanding in mind, let's look again at verses 48 to 58. Again, coming and believing being synonymous with eating and drinking. Verse 48, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. 
So the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. So Jesus repeatedly gives this picture of coming and believing in Him as what leads to eternal life. And He does so using the imagery of eating and drinking, with Him being true bread and true drink. Now the Israelites in the wilderness ate physical bread and they died. Jesus is true bread. He Himself is what is needed for true life. Now people seek after all sorts of things to satisfy themselves. Some of these things are even godly. Now maybe you, accept, maybe you seek acceptance from people. Maybe you seek financial gain. Maybe you're more religious than that, and so you seek satisfaction through coming to a church service, through volunteering, through reading the Bible. But that's where it ends. Now, even good things like attending a service or volunteering or studying the Bible are not what gives true life. True life is only found in Jesus. He is the bread of life. We must eat and drink Him. We must come and believe in Him. So don't let this passage scare you. It sounds gruesome. It sounds confusing. But it's actually quite simple, powerful, and beautiful. It is an illustration of the reality of our complete necessity for and dependence on Jesus for life. Jesus is God in the flesh. He and He alone has the power and authority to give life, to command and to judge. As creation, we have life in our Creator and not apart from our Creator. Our Creator is not just an idea, not just something ethereal out there somewhere. Our Creator is a person, and our life is from Him and by Him and in Him alone. Apart from Him, there is no life. Now, going back to the start of Jesus' teaching in verse 36. We were told that it was the time of the Passover, remembering God's sovereign work in, his freeing, freely, uh, in freeing His chosen people from slavery. We have hordes of people coming to Jesus. Jesus feeds them physical food, and the next day they come to Him again. He brings up the spiritual reality of faith in Him, and the people take a step back, and they question Jesus. They ask why should we believe in you? And they say, show us some more signs that we might believe what you have to say. Then they mention bread, which they ate after God freed them from Egypt, which brings us to this illustration about the bread of life. So let's look at the words here of Jesus in this context. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. 
Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Verse 36. But I have said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. These people saw what Jesus was doing. They came, they listened to him speak. Jesus miraculously fed them. They traveled across a lake to see Jesus. These sound like great church people. They are committed. They're going the extra mile, quite literally, to be near to Jesus. Now, if these people were here this morning, we would put them on committees. They were interested. They were present. They wanted to make Jesus their political leader. And Jesus says, despite all of this, they do not believe. Now, I don't want to go into a long discourse this morning about what it means to believe, but we need to be aware that this word, especially in the English language, has a very large semantic circle. That is, a very, it's a very broad word. It can cover a large array of meanings. These people clearly did believe in Jesus, or they would not have continued to come to Him and follow after Him. But this belief they had was not a saving faith. They physically saw and heard Jesus. They were witness to His miraculous signs. But this alone did not lead to salvation. They believed in Him insofar as He was meeting their personal, physical desires for food and medical treatment. But they did not truly believe. Their belief only went so far. It was not a saving faith in Him as Creator God, as King over all. Now, I was asked recently, if it's enough to say a prayer, ask Jesus for forgiveness of sin and get baptized, and then just go on living life without actually being a changed person. And the answer, according to every bit of teaching in the Bible, is absolutely not. Without a changed heart, which leads to a changed life, which involves in a submission to Christ as King, there is no salvation. Jesus says that through believing in Him, one receives salvation, has eternal life. Now these people saw everything Jesus did, heard everything Jesus taught, and Jesus says, but I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. And now in the following verses, He explains why this is true. Let's work through verses 37 and forward now. I'm going to read from the ESV. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and he who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about Him, because He said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does He now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to Me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. 
Not that anyone has seen the Father except He who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Now, there's a few verses here that I want to go back over and look at very carefully. First one's verse 37. All the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Jesus says that everyone whom the Father gives him will come to him. What does that mean? Well, there is a giving by the Father to the Son. This is an action that God is doing. And the giving involves people. The Father gives people to the Son. All those given, everyone given, will come. There are none who are given by the Father who will not come to the Son. If the Father gives, those given will come. There's there's no failure on God's part. His giving is effectual. The Father is perfect. He gives perfectly. The ones He gives will always come to the Son. And we see in this passage, as we looked at earlier, that coming is looking, is believing, is eating, is drinking. These terms are used synonymously. The ones whom the Father gives to the Son will believe in the Son. The ones who come, the ones who believe will not be turned away, not be cast out, not be left alone, not be left wanting. They will be kept by the Son. Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. And continuing on, verse 38, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus says he is here to do the will of the Father, and then he gives us two aspects of this will. Jesus will lose none that are given by the Father. Rather, Jesus will give them eternal life. He says this group will be risen up on the last day. He's talking about salvation, specifically in this case, the future resurrection at his second coming. In verse 39, the Father gives, all those given come, all those who come are kept and raised up. And in verse 40, Jesus is showing us the means by which these previous verses are accomplished. Jesus says, all those looking and believing, again, synonymous terms along with coming, eating, drinking, all those looking and believing will receive eternal life. The looking and believing are the means by which people come. Now this text here in Scripture is descriptive, not prescriptive. That is, it's explaining how one comes. It's not a task that we're charged with. It's describing how salvation by grace through faith works. The Father gives. Those given come. The result is salvation. Resurrection into the eternal presence of God at Christ's second coming. The amazing and beautiful truth in this passage is that it is all on God. Assurance of my salvation is not on me. If it was on me, then it would be on me to come If I stop coming, I won't be raised up. But I won't stop because the Father has given me to the Son. 
the Father gives. All who are given come. All who come are kept and raised up. It's not on me. It is on the Father and it is on the Son. It is on Jesus to keep me and to raise me up. Now this teaching is pointed to by Paul in that well-known verse so many people have memorized. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And none of this is your own doing. It is all the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Christ is our perfect Savior who saves perfectly. He is the eternal Word, Creator God in the flesh. Verse 41, So the Jews grumbled about Him, because He said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus, God in the flesh, performs miracles in front of and for a group of people. They question him, and Jesus tells them that everyone the Father gives him will come to him, and everyone who comes to him will receive eternal life. He points to himself as the authority to grant salvation, which only God has. And they grumbled and complained and said, he's just that kid from Galilee whose parents we know. God's giving results in our looking and believing. Now, we don't look and believe uninterestedly or unwillingly. We do so because we have a new heart. As we saw in John 3 when Jesus was telling Nicodemus about the new birth from above, he references God's promise from Ezekiel. It was God removing our heart of stone and giving us a heart of flesh. His Spirit is at work in us to cause us to walk in obedience. True saving faith is ongoing. It's not just a one-time thing. It is a continual coming, continual looking, continual believing, continual eating, continual drinking. And this process of always looking and believing is how the saved are kept by Jesus. The Father gives. All those given come. All those who come are kept by Jesus. This keeping is the continual looking and believing. In verse 41, we can see these people were not truly looking and believing. Well, they followed after Jesus. They talked to Jesus, but they did not truly believe. Verse 43, Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. My friends, this is a hard passage. And we don't always like it when the Bible says hard things. This massive crowd of followers didn't like it either. Now, it's a hard passage, but not because the Bible makes it hard, but rather because we make it hard. The Bible, the Bible sometimes says things that we don't like. 
Some scriptures say what we don't think that they should say. And so we ignore them or we try to make them say something that they're not to fit what it is that we believe. One Bible teacher I have learned a great deal from likes to say, we need to allow Scripture to correct us. We need to allow Scripture to correct us. As I shared back in September when talking about how to read the Bible, we need to ask those three questions a former mentor of mine once told me. What does the text say? What does the text not say? Can the text mean what it says? Jesus says, no one can come. The Greek word here for can is dunatai, meaning no one is able to come. No one has the ability to come. As we can see in other parts of Scripture, this is because of sin and its effect on us. Now John gets more into that in chapter 8, which we're going to look at next time. But Jesus says no one has the ability in and of themselves to look, to come, to believe, to eat. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. He then repeats himself again and says, and he will raise that person coming on the last day. This is strong language. But Jesus is clear. Verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Now in verse 44, we have another one of those Greek words that's translated one way in this passage, but when you compare it to other verses, it gives so much more depth of meaning. Jesus says, no one can even come to me unless the Father draws him. Now the word translated as draws here is the Greek word helkio. I'm just going to read for fun. I'm going to read two more verses using the same word and see if you can pick out which one is the same word in those two verses. The first one is Acts chapter 16, verse 19. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them before the rulers. John 21, 6. They cast their net and they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Now, do you think you know which words was helkio in each of those verses? This word is used as drawn, as dragged, and as hauled. It's not a passive word that means to simply entice or encourage gently. It is an action word, an action the Father is doing, an action that involves us why we come to Jesus, how we come to Jesus. Jesus says, all those given come. All those who come are kept and raised. Here Jesus says, no one comes unless they're drawn by the Father. He says, you have seen all I have said and done. You've seen me perform miracles. Your bellies were filled by me creating food right in front of you, and yet you do not believe in me. And that is because no one can believe in me unless the Father draws him. It's a hard passage, my friends. Verse 45. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Just like in his conversation with Nicodemus in chapter 3, Jesus goes back to the Old Testament They will all be taught by God. 
Jesus references an Old Testament passage when communicating these truths about the Father's drawing individual people to Himself. We hear from the Father. We learn from the Father. Jesus says, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to Me. No one that has heard and learned from the Father, no one that was taught by God, fails to come to Me. Hearing and learning is is passive, I guess, in a sense. It's not something that we're doing. Rather, we're the recipient of these things. And that's the whole point. The teaching by God, the hearing, the learning, is the drawing of the Father. This teaching on salvation is all about God. The Father gives and draws. The Son keeps and raises No one comes to Jesus unless they are drawn by the Father. No one looks to Jesus. No one believes in Jesus unless they are given by the Father, unless they are taught by God, unless their heart of stone is removed and replaced with a heart of flesh by God. No one is obedient apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. That again is from the Ezekiel passage we looked at a few weeks back. Paul writes in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 to 12, as he quotes again from the Old Testament, talking about all Jews and non-Jews alike, he says, Romans 3.10, No one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. No one does good. Not even one. In verse 18, he says, There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, I'd love to stop and spend more time here in Romans, but we'll have to do that another day. But we need to understand the depths of sin. We need to know what sin really is, how vile and destructive it is. It's not just a little white lie. It is rebellion against our Creator. It is shaking our fist at God. It is spitting in His face. The One who created us and rules over all creation. Sin is destructive, and it sears our hearts and our minds. It blinds us to the truth of God. It destroys us. It enslaves us. It makes us spiritually dead, as we looked at last week. And so Paul writes that there is not one person in this world who is righteous, not one person who seeks after God, not one. All those heroes of the faith in the Old Testament... Paul says, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. No one does good. Not even one. Jesus says, no one comes unless they are drawn. No one is even able to come unless they are drawn. The ones who are drawn are taught by God. The ones who are drawn hear and learn from the Father. In Ezekiel, this is described as God giving us a new heart and the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Jesus again closes verse 47 by saying, the one believing has eternal life. Just reiterating what He has been saying here. A crowd of people follow Jesus all the time. They heard Him teach. They saw Him perform miracles. And in some cases, they had miracles performed on them. And yet, so many did not have a saving faith in Jesus that leads to salvation, to eternal life. 
Jesus says no one can come to him on their own. Our sin nature keeps us in bondage to sin. In sin, we don't want God. We don't seek him. We don't come. We're unable to come. Jesus says the Father gives those who he gives he has changed. He has removed a heart of stone and his spirit is at work in them. He teaches them and they hear him. And Jesus says, all those given come. There are none that are given that don't come. Jesus says the coming is looking, is believing. Jesus says all those coming, all those looking, all those believing are saved. They are kept and they will be raised up on the last day. Now after this hard teaching, Jesus then goes to that illustration of eating his flesh and drinking his blood. He's showing us that this is all on him as God in the flesh, our absolute need for him in every way possible. He is the perfect Savior, and he saves perfectly. Our salvation comes in abiding in him. We abide in him because he keeps us. He keeps us because we come to Him. We come to Him because the Father draws us and Christ gives us, or the Father gives us to Christ. In Him is life, as John writes in chapter 1. Now this is not a unique teaching here from Jesus in this chapter. We see it in some capacity in John 3. We see it in John 5. We'll see it again in John 8. We'll see it again in John 10. We'll see it again in John 17. Other apostles taught this as well. Acts 2.39, Peter preaches that the promise of salvation is for, quote, all those whom Yahweh calls to himself. In Acts 13, verse 48, Luke writes that as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. In Philippians 1.29, Paul writes that it was granted to the Christians to believe. And there are more throughout Scripture, but let's continue on and finish up John 6. Verse 60, when many of his disciples, I mean all those people following, heard it, they said, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? People follow after Jesus, saw him perform miracles, listened to what he says about God's sovereignty and salvation, and the response is, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Verse 61. But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. The people are grumbling and Jesus says it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. This goes back to John 1. All those who did receive Him, who believed in His name, did so not because of the will of the flesh, but because of God. This goes back to John chapter 3. One cannot enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of the Spirit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. The wind blows where it wishes. You're aware of its activity in the of, of, you're aware of the activity of the wind, but you do not know where it comes from or where it's going. This goes back to John chapter five. An hour is now here when the dead will hear the voice 
of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. Jesus says, verse 64, but there are some of you who do not believe. This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it's granted him by the Father. Here in verse 65, Jesus just repeats nearly word for word what he said in verse 44. In 44, he says, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. Here in 65, he says, no one can come to me unless it's granted him by the Father. This is very strong and yet clear language that Jesus uses. No one can even come to Jesus unless that coming, that believing, is granted to them by the Father. Now in Philippians 1.29, Paul writes to the Christians, it has been granted to you to believe. Now in the John and Philippians passages, the same English word is used of two different Greek words. The Greek words both have a similar meaning, but are used in slightly different contexts. In Philippians, the Greek word translated as granted is used to show favor, to cancel a debt, to give generously. I think these are some great ways of thinking about our faith in Christ, which is what Paul was doing there. Now, in this John passage, the Greek word translated as granted is used to give, to appoint, to cause. Again, that context fits well with what Jesus was speaking about here in this section. He says, There are some of you who do not believe. This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. People come to Jesus in a way that brings eternal life because it was granted to them by the Father. The Father draws them. The Father gives them. He gives them to the Son. A beautiful gift from Father to Son. All those who believe. Verse 66 After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. People walked with Jesus, ate with Jesus, listened to the teachings out of his mouth, saw him perform miracles, had miracles performed on them, and in the end, they just walked away. And here in this section in John 6, Jesus has explained fully why that is. Now we're almost there, my friends. We have covered a lot of real heavy teaching from Jesus about the true difference between believers and unbelievers, but what the gift of being saved by grace through faith actually is. But hang in there just a couple more minutes. We're almost done. There's one last beautiful part of this chapter that I want to touch on. Verse 67. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God, the monogamous. I love this passage. Nearly 20,000 people walk away from Jesus, and now there's just a dozen ragtag men standing there, probably wondering what just happened. And Jesus says, Do you want to go away as well? And Peter replies, No. You have the words of eternal life. We believe you. We have come. We know that you are the Holy One of God. 
Now, I've mentioned that John is different from the other three Gospels, but that doesn't mean that they don't include some of the same stories. Now, in Matthew's Gospel, while he's writing for a different purpose and organizes his writing differently, he does talk about feeding of the 5,000. He does talk about the Jewish leaders demanding more signs. And after this, he records Jesus asking his disciples who they say he is. And in Matthew 16, 16, Peter replies, You are the Christ the Son of the living God. And in verse 17, And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Brothers and sisters, church family, friends, our God is a sovereign God. He is sovereign over all His creation. His word to us shows us that we have all sinned. We all have a sin nature. This sin nature blinds us to the truth of the beauty of God. This sin has made us spiritually dead. As Paul writes in Ephesians 2, we were dead in our sin and by nature children of wrath. But God... But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our sin, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. By grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. My friends, if you are here this morning or watching online, but you're not exactly sure why, maybe you came because a spouse or a friend or a child or a parent brought you here, or perhaps they want to watch the service together online with you. Maybe that's what it seems like to you, but consider that maybe God is calling you. Maybe consider that God is removing from you a heart of stone and giving you a heart of flesh. Maybe consider that the Father has granted you to look on the Son. I invite you now to come. Come to Jesus. Place your trust in Him. Put your hope in Him. Submit your life to Him as Lord, as King. If you want freedom from sin and guilt, then trust in Jesus. And if you're here or watching today and you're feeling this call of God to come to Jesus, then I I want to encourage you to do that. After the service, speak to someone you know who's already a believer and let them know. Celebrate this coming to Jesus together and, and be encouraged together. And I want to invite you to partake in communion together with the body this morning. And my brothers and sisters in the church, if you have truly come to Jesus in the last day or in the last century... I encourage you to continue to look and to believe with a heart of thankfulness. Your life is not contingent on you. It is on God. Your faith, your salvation does not rest on your abilities, your strengths, your determination. It rests solely in the hands of Jesus, our perfect Savior who saves perfectly. So let us come with thankful hearts every week, every day, every moment to praise our Savior. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank You. God, thank You for drawing us to Yourself. Thank You for drawing us here this morning. Thank You for bringing us safely here this morning. Thank You for drawing us to turn on the TV and put the service on that we might hear from You. God, thank You that we can have assurance knowing that if we, as we come to You because You have drawn us, You will also keep us. We will not walk away from You because You are perfect in every way and You keep us perfectly. You will never fail to keep Your promise. Lord Jesus, Your death on the cross saved us perfectly and You hold us perfectly and none can escape Your hand. You will never drive us out. Lord, thank You for this amazing assurance. Thank You for the eyes to see You that we can celebrate You together, that we can glorify You, we can worship You. And Lord, I pray now that as we enter this time of communion, that again, we will continue to glorify You with thankful hearts every moment of every day. I pray this in Your name. Amen.